Good morning, Mill City Church. It's, thanks, Nick. <laughs> it's so good to be here this morning. And if you're new with us, my name is Ruth Lawrenson. Now, as Aaron mentioned, we are in our new series, 57, where we're taking this deep dive line by line of the Lord's Prayer. As Aaron mentioned last week, uh, the Lord's Prayer consists of 57 words, hence the series title, right? And today, we're going to be looking at 14 of them, found in Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm curious what your reaction is to this stanza of the Lord's Prayer. You know, think about it for just a moment. What happens in you when you're asked to pray this prayer? You know, maybe for some of you, it like sends you into passion and excitement and you feel super motivated. You know, you immediately you start thinking about things that you can pray for. Or maybe you feel a little overwhelmed, like directionless. I mean, maybe for some of us here, we find our spirits completely connecting with this verse, this prayer. Or for others of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we can find ourselves disconnecting to it. And the reason I ask this question for you to kind of have a little moment with yourself is because as I've been preparing this preach, I've been paying attention to what is happening in me, you know, like how I've been responding to this prayer emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. And guys, I found myself both connecting to it and disconnecting to it. You see, on one hand, I find myself deeply connecting to it. It's such a well-known prayer, isn't it? And these 14 words, they are loaded with the hope of change. And it's not just tiny, small, short-term change. It's this worldwide, death-defeating, evil-losing, everlasting change. And I don't know about you, but something in me gets stirred up when I just begin to start thinking about that, you know? A fire is lit in me because I am sick of seeing evil have its way out there and this thought that what God is offering here, his kingdom to come, will bring a change that we need to see happen. It connects me. It stirs up my spirit. But then on the other hand, I find myself disconnecting. I mean, why would I disconnect with this prayer? You know, maybe it's because of the familiarity. We pray it so often. Or maybe it's because, you know, sometimes we we see this prayer and we we pray it in such a gung-ho way, you know, like we we get really revved up by this one, don't we? But where are the handles? You know, has it become too abstract for us? Is it too big for me to understand my connection, my engagement, my formation within it? Wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you are connecting or disconnecting with this prayer, I I believe that God is saying that there's something incredibly important about the time that we are living in right now about re-engaging with this prayer. The stakes seem to be very high. We are living in a pivotal time where we need to wrestle as followers of Jesus how we can pray this prayer authentically with faith so we get to see its power. 
Now, there's so many things to unpack about this part of the prayer, but before we go there, there's this one thing that I believe is super important for us to grasp this morning. It's like this overarching truth about this verse, this stanza of the prayer, and it's this. Jesus didn't give it as a rote prayer. He didn't give it as a mechanical prayer that would be prayed ritualistically. He gave it to his disciples, and he gives it to me and you today as a revolutionary prayer, an invitation to be part of his subversive kingdom movement that will overturn the powers of evil. Thank you. And I'm not saying this to be just overdramatic, guys. There's a reason why I'm saying it, and it's found when we start digging into the context of this passage. You see, what we find when we look at the context, that there's some questions that are raised. You know what I find really curious and perplexing about this account? Is that the Jewish listeners at the time already had a similar prayer to pray, especially about the coming of God's kingdom. They concluded their synagogues with the ritual of praying the Kaddish that had similar themes. So, you know, praying God's kingdom was, was very familiar to them. It was part of their liturgy and uh, religion and their practices. So what is Jesus doing here? What's the big sticky deal, you know? Like, why is he... Uh, Why is he asking them to pray this prayer? They already had a rope prayer about the kingdom of God. Surely Jesus wasn't just trying to add to their spiritual liturgy collection. Jesus, he's randomly stopping in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and asking them to pray and pray like this when they already had a similar prayer. It's worth thinking about. Here he is. He's giving the sermon of his life. Literally everything Jesus has been teaching about is about the the kingdom of heaven, You know, how it's different from the kingdoms of this world. And most importantly, how what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven's kingdom here on earth. And here's the thing. He stops in the middle of this sermon, asks his listeners to pray. And here's the thing. Here's the clincher, I think. Jesus knew something on that mountain in that moment that everyone else on that that mountain didn't know. He knew that in the not-too-far-off near future, he was about to be crowned king. He was about to usher in the subversive movement, the rule and reign of God that he'd just been teaching about by defeating the powers of sin, death, and hell as he took his throne on the cross. His crown you know, it was, it was going to be made of piercing thorns, and his victory will look like foolishness, even failure. But Jesus knows what's about to go down. He knows the plan of the Father. He knows that what he's about to do. He knows that they are all on the cusp of this world-changing event that will empower a world-changing movement, and he's looking for a team. George Muller, the British evangelist, advocate, and intercessor, who fed thousands of orphans with food provided in answer to prayer, said this, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of God's willingness. You see, I believe that Jesus was saying to this crowd, and he's saying to us today, 
God is willing. The kingdom is here. I'm ushering it in. Who's up for laying hold of it? Who's in? I'm looking for a kingdom team. You see, this this is why it's such a revolutionary prayer. It was an invitation to this motley crowd of fishermen, tax collectors, Jews, an invitation to people who, who were aching for change, people like you and me, people who were intrigued enough by Jesus' radical teaching to what a different kingdom looked like, where God is king, an invitation to come into a line with it, to, to come in agreement with it, to say that this is too what we long for, an invitation ultimately to be kingdom revolutionaries who live out as citizens on heaven, of heaven here on earth. There is nothing passive about this prayer. It's not supposed to be a spectator sport. You know, Jesus wasn't looking for a kingdom fan club, you know, cheering along from the bleachers, buying all the kingdom paraphernalia, coming for the experience. He was was and is looking for a team. This is why it's radical. Because if you pray it, you're part of it. You see, one of the first radical things this prayer does, if we pray it authentically, is that it will pull us into alignment with God's kingdom, what it is and how it's going to come. You know, I've been living here in America as a Brit for almost 10, I think over 10 years now. Can I have a cheer, please? (laughs) Thank you. But before we actually moved here, I visited quite a lot. I think I visited the States at least 10 times before we actually moved and settled here. And during those uh, times, you know, there's a big difference between visiting somewhere and actually living in a new country uh, that's different from your home of origin. You know, when you visit somewhere, you're just like super enamored, aren't you, by all the cool new things. And I remember when I was so excited the first few times I came to the States. And guys, honestly, on my bucket list, top five, was visiting Target and Olive Garden. I know. Lord, forgive me. But, you know, Brits love Target. They love Target. All my friends were like, make sure you go to Target, Ruth, you know. (laughs) But something happens that's different when you live somewhere, you know. Suddenly, you know, well, not suddenly, slowly, but surely, really, your attention is diverted from those things that are kind of glossy, you know, like loving Target. And actually, you begin to realize the differences. And so living here, what I began to realize is that Americans are not like British people, you know? Like, most of the time, no one has a clue what I'm saying when I say I'm chuffed about something, I'm reminded every day that I have an accent. And, you know, you realize that you have assumptions and customs and ways of doing things that are not present in this new country. Living in a new country exposes these things. Now, when we begin to live as citizens of God's kingdom, you know, we don't just visit. But we settle our yes. We uproot our old life, and move into God's family. One of the first things that starts happening if we're open to the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that we realize we have accents. 
we have ways, we have ideas that are not part of this new way of living. We learn that we've been schooled by different kings. You know, the rule and reign of this world, secularism, individualism, religion, materialism, politics, nationalism, all of which aren't your kingdom come. And, you know, we can all too easily, if we're not aware of this, end up praying, my kingdom come, or my version of God's kingdom come, or my political agenda come, or my hope of American dream come. And the problem, guys, with this is that even if our versions of God's kingdom are noble and selfless and, you know, full of good causes, they aren't this prayer. They aren't big enough or powerful enough or wise enough to bring the change that we really need to see, the change that kicks the hell out of earth. Only God's kingdom, only God's king, only the cross has done that. You see, this is why we need a move of God's spirit to come on us, to shine his light on us, to form us, to expose our kingdoms or our versions of God's kingdom and pull us into an alignment with his kingdom so we get to live out, pray for, and offer the world the real deal. The first century Jewish listeners, they had the same thing going on. You know, they longed for God's kingdom. They did. They were waiting for it. They had their visions of victory. And yet the irony was they all, all of these, all of these different Jewish communities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Azines, the Zealots, they all had different versions of what that kingdom was. They all had different ways of seeing what it would look like. They all had inconsistent understandings of how it was going to come. They had their own religious, cultural, and political, nationalistic accents that skewed how they understood God's kingdom and their passions, unfortunately, were so blinding that for many of them, they ended up crucifying the king. You know, when we pray for God's kingdom to come, There's this tendency in us, and I've done it myself in prayer meetings and in my own private prayer prayer place, but you know, there's this leaning in us to pray for it to come out there, you know, into the big giant sections of society that desperately need God's gentle rule and reign. And you know, it's not a bad thing. Of course, we want to see schools and businesses and civic institutions come and experience the amazing benefits of God's leadership. But I think we're missing a giant step. You see, before the kingdom comes out there, In fact, how the kingdom comes out there is that it's got to come in here. It's got to come in you and in me. And it needed to for those first century Jews, and it needs to for us today. The British evangelist, pastor, and author, Alan Redpath, said, Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. Man, I'm curious, guys, what would happen if Christians, churches right across America, right now, prayed this humble prayer? What would it look like if we prayed, come Holy Spirit, show me, expose these things in me so that I can pray my kingdom go? 
You know, most of the recent revivals that we've seen, you know, the breaking out of God's good kingdom where, where whole communities have witnessed how the, the, the strongholds of evil have been pushed back because of the tangible, tangible experience that people have had with Jesus. You know, the Welsh revival who, that in 1904 on Christmas Day, pretty much the whole of Wales was on its knees in prayer. You know, the bars were going bankrupt because there weren't any drunks. The, the prisons started getting empty because crime had gone down. Most of these little revivals that we've seen where there's been an awakening of God's kingdom come in the Hebrides or the Welsh revival or on a user street. They started with little groups of people who were so desperate to see God's kingdom come that they got down on their knees. They tarried in prayer and in tears they prayed, oh God forgive us. God forgive me. My kingdom go. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, That word come, it doesn't mean arrive. It means move. You see, the kingdom is already here. So we're praying that it will move. Just like how Jesus taught in the parables, you know, how we're praying for the kingdom to be like a little bit of yeast in a dough, that it will rise. We're praying that the kingdom will be like a little seed that's planted in the ground, that it will grow. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, it begins with this refining prayer, this repenting prayer, a repositioning prayer that asks for the kingdom to come, to move, to grow, to rise in us so much so that it affects our understanding, it affects our desires, it affects our lives so much so that all of our kingdoms are pushed out. When we begin to pray, your kingdom come, to quote the late Michael Jackson, we're starting with the man in the mirror. (laughs) The change, guys, it must begin with us so that we become the change, the demonstrators, the depositors of this other way, this better rule from a loving king. You know, I believe if we, the church, right now, got on our knees and prayed authentically, my kingdom go, we would see one of the biggest moves of God's spirit in this nation that we've seen for a very long time. And I think the question is, are we open? Are we ready? Are we willing to pray your kingdom come in this way? Now, not only is this prayer Does it pull us into an alignment with God's kingdom as we pray your kingdom come? But it bids us into this deep-seated intimacy with God the Father where we willingly say, your will be done. Now, I'm a a proud mum of two kids. I have Titus, who's 11. And Titus has always been this like super kind, like compliant a uh, lovely child, you know, he's always done what he's told. And then we have little Penny. I think we should pull up a photo of Penny. Oh, there she is. 
Lil Penny. Now, here she is. Jen, this, this photo was just taken just a few months in from COVID in the spring of 2020. I know we tried to all erase that from our minds, but there's photos to prove it. And I noticed that this week she was going around the house and she was wearing her swimming goggles everywhere, you know, at dinner, bouncing on the trampoline. And so I asked her, I said, Penny, is there any particular reason you're wearing your swimming goggles everywhere? And she told me that she was protecting herself from the virus. All I can say is, thank goodness Penny wasn't in charge of the CDC, or we'd all be wearing goggles to church. <laughs> Just think how that would have gone down. Now, if you can't tell already, Penny is my strong-willed child. She has plans B through Z land, you know, lined up in her genius little mind to get what she wants. Just to warn you, if you serve on Mill City Kids, you know, we call her the lawyer. And if there's any lawyers in the room, no offense, but if you are looking for staff, she's only eight, but she's really good. Penny, you know, she can try me at times. But as her mum, I absolutely love her savvy, sassy, creative way of thinking, her strength and her will, her leadership. Then when I look at her, you know, there's nothing in me that wants to take that away, to squash it or subdue it, to make her less penny. You know, when it comes to this part of the Lord's Prayer, where we are charged by Jesus to pray, God, your will be done. I think there can be so many misunderstandings around it. You know, and once again, it's a prayer that begins with us, our lives, our submission to God. Now, for some of us, I think we can end up, you know, viewing it through a religious lens where we can inadvertently fall into stoicism. You know, we just have to muscle up to blind obedience and submission. Apparently, uh, what we think or the questions we have don't seem to matter. We have to, the way we're going to fulfill this prayer is that we've just got to become a little less penny. And then for others of us, maybe we're right on the other end of the scale of it. this. You know, we, we say it, but we're not actually praying it. Because if we're honest, there's something in us that's kicking against this idea to submit our lives to God. I mean, this grates against our cultural UBU narrative like nothing else, doesn't it? You know, we want to stay being penny, and no one, not even God, is going to interfere with that. But the trouble with both these approaches is that they're both flawed. They both miss the point, and they both miss out. You see, one is a religious mindset, and religious obedience and submission alone will only get us so far. I find it so fascinating that Jesus prayed this prayer when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, as he was wrestling in tears with what lay before him, the cross. We will find ourselves in life, in our own gardens, faced with mystery and, and pain, the unknown and doubts. You know, things that where we can only see death and we can't quite see resurrection. And when we're in those places, it's going to take the substance of knowing the Father to get us through that. And then on the other hand, there's this orphan mindset. And if we fully buy into the supposed wisdom of UBU, embracing independence and individualism, my will be done, can't 
trust anyone other than you. Guys, we live like orphans when we are actually children of God. And we miss out on the benefits, the protection, the provision, the security that comes with knowing the Father's will. New Testament scholar and theologian N.T. Wright says this, When we say, thy will be done, it should be a prayer of conversion, not just a prayer of submission. And what's so important for us to realize, especially with the cultural moment we find ourselves in, is that God doesn't force us, whether we are followers of Jesus or not, to do his will. He's never done that. It's not his way. He could have done that. He's powerful enough to do that. But he chose and chooses a way of authentic conversion, not forceful coercion. Now, the conversion that N.T. Wright is talking about, you see, is when the Holy Spirit comes and he brings this revelation to us that we are children of God. It's what is what's said in 1 John 3 verse 1 where it says, Behold, what manner of love is this? That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. And when we get this revelation and we choose to follow Jesus, we follow him all the way back to the Father and we are invited into the most deep-seated, intimate relationship with him where we get to discover that his will for our life is in no way less penny. In fact, it's so powerfully for penny, for you, for me, for every human being on this planet. Now in March this year, during spring break, we took a little family vacation to Oregon. And um, one day, me and Penny, we went to Seal Rock Beach, and it's, it's famous for its tide pools. And you know, there, there we were, we were like scouting around for starfish, and unexpectedly, this huge wave breaks towards us. And you know, it's those waves where they break, and you think, oh, it's fine. And, but actually, the water keeps coming in. It was one of those. And I saw Penny, and she panicked, and she started running away from this wave, and she jumped right into a rock pool, neck deep you know? I saw the panic on her face, and I could see that her ability to make wise decisions right now was, like, going down, you know? I could see that she was, like, trying to plan her escape, and she was either going to go on those rocks, which would have really cut her up really bad, or she was going to jump into more rock pools that possibly were deeper. And so I shouted at her, Penny, stop! And I could see my strong-willed little girl, like, wrestle. I could see that she wanted to do what she had planned, but there was something about my voice that held her. I said, listen to me. Stop. Don't move. Trust me. And she did. And so I waded in, you know, knee-deep, in my brand-new pure white Nikes, You know the ones with the pink swoosh on them? (laughs) They are now known in the Lawrenson household as my rose-tinted Nike Airs. Anyway, I, I waded in, I scooped her up, and I brought her to safety. Penny, she obeyed me in that moment. She submitted to my will because ultimately she thoroughly knew and trusted me. She knows her mum She knows I celebrate her, and she knows I would die for her, and she knows I would destroy my Nike Airs for her. 
You know, we need to be converted from a religious mindset, from an orphan mindset into living out our identity as children of God. We have a father who takes joy in who we are. He loves the unique ways we think. He's not flummoxed by our questions. He delights in us. He's smitten with us. He wants us to thrive and flourish and he wades in and he gives his life for us. And it's only from this knowledge, it's only from this the revelation of this intimacy that we and other people will be set free to choose to live our lives inside the will of God. This revolutionary prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It forms us, it converts us, and it also compels us into down-to-earth, heavenly-empowered action. You see, this prayer just, just doesn't just involve words. It doesn't just involve faith. It doesn't just involve an alignment with our heart and mind. It involves action. There's an urgency to realizing that the way we live our lives can become an answer to this prayer. With a prayer and with a plan. You know, the way the kingdom is going to move, the way we will see a transformational manifestation of his kingdom here on earth won't be from just from people proclaiming it. It will be through communities of people who are citizens of heaven, living out heaven's kingdom tangibly here on earth. Offering a cup of cold water, having an open door to a stranger, enjoying a meal with a sinner, Offering daily acts of kindness to our neighbors. One of my favorite Christian songwriters is Keith Green. And he wrote this song called No Compromise. And its first verse goes like this. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) It says, I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers. No compromise. How do we move from words and sentiments to making our lives this prayer? You know, this last phrase of the stanza is so important for us because it talks about as on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it tells us so much about the mission of God's kingdom and the trajectory of God's will. Scripture tells us that in heaven... You know, God's kingdom, his good rule and reign is in full effect. His kingship, which isn't resisted, comes in full. You know, so his will is done in full. But guys, here's the thing. Heaven is on the move. Heaven is on a mission and the destination is earth. You know, so much of the time as Christians, we can spend our time, our energies living in this super spiritual place, you know, hoping for a heavenly high, escaping earth to get to heaven But this verse, if ever it's a wake-up call, it's this verse. Let's not invest in the wrong direction here because Jesus is bringing heaven to earth. And so the investment question of our lives, if we are citizens of heaven, is how do we join Jesus' cause? How do we live our lives in such a way where we bring heaven to earth? And the answer only found by looking to the kingdom's king. The kingdom looks like its king. 
If we want to make our lives this prayer where we bring his kingdom here on earth, guess what, guys? We get to live like the king, King Jesus. And he, he's the friend of sinners. He's the ambassador of the poor. He's the advocate of the oppressed. He's the healer of the brokenhearted. He's the liberator of those in captivity. He's the deliverer of evil. He's the king of kings who washed his disciples' feet. He's the friend who gave his life. He's the judge who offers mercy. He's the all-powerful one that refuses a power play. He's the lord of lords that invites the downcast to his party. That's our king. And this is his kingdom. And this is what we are invited to. This is the way we are invited to live our lives for such a time as this. Now, I believe that what God is asking us today, each and every one of us, is will you be part of my kingdom team? You know, as we're going to go about this week, one thing I want to ask of us all is that we memorize this stanza and we pray it every day. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it so that it forms something in us so that the kingdom can actually come through us. And my prayer for each and every one of us is that as we pray this, the Holy Spirit will breathe on it in such a way that there will be a fresh re-engagement to this prayer and a fresh re-engagement to be a kingdom people here on earth. For some of you, honestly, it's going to call you into some alignment. For others of you this morning, there's a real invitation here to enter into this beautiful, intimate relationship with the Father. And for some of us today, we will be compelled to reassess our lives. How are we living our lives in this kingdom way? Wherever you find yourself this morning, just want to invite you to pray this prayer this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us, that you're for us, that your will for our life is mind-blowing. Thank you that you created a way in which we could become your children. Thank you, God, that you have a plan for this planet that is going to bring incredible change, that's going to kick the hell out of earth. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as we begin to pray this prayer this week, that I pray you will breathe on it in such a way that it will form us. It will convert us and there'll be a compelling in us to live as kingdom people here on earth. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.